Hi, hello and welcome to In Plain Sight. In the last episode, we talked about our experiences with Savannah, Georgia. And to, uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about languages, why it's important to learn, and our own personal experiences with language. Tin, you want to tell us your drink tonight? Yeah, sure. You know, the best language in the world is alcohol, right? So I've talked <laughs> to the table today, Stella Artois. Artois? Stella, I, I don't care. It's a beer um, mm -hmm. that comes out of... I don't know. Um, and it comes in a green bottle, which I don't know if you guys know this. There's actually nothing about a green bottle that I have to tell you that is interesting. Acela is like a lightweight Heineken. It's kind of half sour, half bitter, and it's good enough to drink, but it's not worth buying. Not from this review, at least. I, I've, <laughs> I've cringed so much in the past 20 seconds. It, yeah, that it was hurts. Cool. <laughs> really have a review for Stella. I didn't prepare one. I didn't even plan to bring Stella to our episode today, but uh, I don't really have anything for you guys as far as drinks concerned. It's a decent beer. You know, uh, it's my, my family grew up drinking Heineken, right? And uh, Vietnamese people were really well known for drinking Heineken, at least within our circles. And I can't drink Heineken. It's too bitter. I don't like it. And Stella is kind of a halfway between Heineken and halfway between Peroni, which is um, what kind of beer is that? Is that I don't know. I don't know. I, I assume Italian or something. Um, do you think Stella's worth the cost? Uh, well, Andy, these days I'm not poor anymore, so I don't know what to pay for beer. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe. Okay. I mean, to me personally, no. Like, if I'm going to go spend money on Stella, I'd go get a beer that actually tastes good. Oh, um, it doesn't taste that bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> after your review i think it tastes terrible <laughs> do you want to tell us what are the flavor notes you're getting right now is it is it more foot sweat um so it tastes like um it tastes like you should talk about what you brought to the table today <laughs> <laughs> with that amazing segue uh i actually brought my favorite scotch one of my favorite scotches of all time uh glimmerany uh signet so um yeah, it's it's a it's another Highland, or actually, it's probably my first Highland that I've done here. It's really smooth. It's amazing, chocolatey, um, kind of peanut buttery. A lot of caramel, a lot of oak. Very smooth. Uh, it's amazing. Worth every penny. Buy a bottle. Try it. Thank me later. You're welcome. You know that's all I got. Whoever's made it to the fourth episode at this point, I think this is the fourth, right? I think there's certain thing that you're a Scotch snob. I am. <laughs> Definitely. Although I don't know if there's many Scotches I don't like, so maybe I just like Scotch. Uh, a Cuddy Shark? Oh, no, good Scotches. Sorry, there's not many like normal <laughs> Scotches. <laughs> <laughs> point proven. <laughs> uh, it's only 8 a.m. in Singapore. What are you drinking today? So I got some more looks from my family when I brought out this, but <laughs> it's 8 a.m. in the morning. But I brought a Guinness Stout. Uh, I'm not going to be drinking this morning because last time I had a hangover in the middle of the afternoon. Nice. But uh, uh, I bring in this to the table because this was actually my introduction to stout beers. And when I first uh, had a Guinness, I hated it and didn't like it. And I just kept giving it a try. And now I love stout beers. And... I love trying them. So I'm going to disagree with your family's sentiment about day drinking and your 
halfway <laughs> thing over here. You know where Guinness comes from, which I can't remember. People actually drink Guinness for breakfast. They don't just drink yeah. Guinness for breakfast. They drink Guinness here in the United States for breakfast too, in some breakfast really? joints. So it's, it's a meal replacement 4. shake. So it's only four point two percent alcohol by volume. So why don't you go ahead and crack that bitch open and drink it? No, I'm curious, <laughs> Matt. Matt, can you check that? Is it four point two percent? Because if he got yes. that right, but can't tell us where it's from, yeah. <laughs> yes, four point two percent. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's like milk, man. You might as well go ahead and drink one can, right? All right, Matt, maybe not today. Yeah, what are we chatting about? Uh, so today we're talking about languages, and I know we've all had some experiences with learning languages. Um, either as a first or a second language. And one of us wanted to explore our own personal experience with it. And why do we think that Americans should learn a second language? Sure. Well, what, before we get into the conversation, Matt, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background as to why language is important to you? Because I, I think that you would be the, the first authority between the three of us when it comes to language even though you know a- damn it andy doesn't speak korean i was gonna say that both of us nope. are probably <laughs> uh, so, so. like a uh, spoiler alert everybody i only speak one language i i am like the least <laughs> skilled person in this chat room you want to listen to these two guys so so what's your background in history and language uh my own personal background is You know, I grew up speaking only English. It wasn't until I actually joined the military, left the States, and moved to uh, South Korea to serve in the Air Force. And within the first two weeks there, I decided I'm going to learn Korean. So I just spent every day for the next few weeks just learning how to read and speak Korean and never really made it super far, (laughs) but enough to have small conversations and to make people laugh. so, but I thought it was a great way for me to connect with the, pe- the local people in South Korea. Uh, now I am an English teacher and I teach English to Chinese students online. And, and I was also taught in Cambodia where I used to teach kids living in, um, in villages. So that's my personal experience. So I, I feel like you're cutting yourself short a little bit here. And I, I think it's important to, <laughs> to note like the, the full history. So you joined the Air Force, you went to Korea, you learned Korean while you were there. Um, you were in Cambodia and you learned Cambodian? Yeah, while I you were learned there. Okay, Cambodian. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, uh, Kamai. <laughs> oh, Kamai. Kamai? Yes. Kamai. Yes. You Kamai. learned Kamai while you were there. You came back, um, you married your Singaporean wife, and now you live there and you're learning learning mandarin Mandarin there (laughs) so i just think it's interesting have you learned a language where you didn't reside in the country before learning it no i have never done that now that you mentioned it okay okay so that's that's super interesting so so yeah i ask you a question matt uh might get a little personal yes okay why do you choose to use one piece of tape for that poster directly behind you <laughs> and the animals poster you use like a shitload of packing tape at the top <laughs> but it so, was it like falling down a lot i mean you know yes yes this one was you murdered the tape at the top there 
attacks work very well. This was a. I feel bad for the wall. 30, this was a quick 30 second minute job in between classes because I fell down gotcha. in, between my, in, in my class. I can tell. I, yes. I, I'm just, <laughs> what, was, what was the chain of thought? Did you put a piece of tape up there? You're like, ah, oh, needs another one. My chain of thought was I put on tape that I thought it was okay. So it's <laughs> it was fine. And it fell down. <laughs> so, but it stayed there for the past year and a half. So, <laughs> so you did a 30 second job and you've lived with it for the last year and a half. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did the job. <laughs> so, so English now to Chinese students, what what value do you see in an American uh, who generally only speaks English to learn a second language? I think the value in the States, at least, is that there might be whole communities of people that you might be missing out on experiences that they that you wouldn't be able to get without getting to know them and sure yes you might be able to communicate with them with just english but i feel like when you try to put in the effort to learn a second language it shows that you're actually genuinely interested in them and their culture and um and it shows that you know you Generally, people like as soon as you learn, they so show that they you know a few words. They're like, "Oh my God, you're awesome! You, thank you for so much for learning my language." You know, why don't you know talk to my friends over here? You know, and then it just kind of like genuinely bring you in. Whereas, I feel like even with just English speaking people, you know, if you just try, "Hey, how's it going?" They're like, "Who are you?" <laughs> so I, I think so, I think to put it in better perspective too, um, Malcolm Gladwell. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Malcolm yes. Gladwell. Um, he has a book, I want to say it's called Tipping Point, um, where he, he talks about a story and Malcolm Gladwell has a, uh, a specific way he tells a story and then he goes through that story and talks about the sociology behind it. Um, he has a story about an Asian pilot who was coming in to fly into JFK. He was trying to land, he was low on gas, and he was trying to tell the watchtower, I need to land now. But when you listen to the conversation log, what you hear is the Asian person saying, hey, uh, we're low on gas. Um, it, if you guys have time, we, we need to land. And the watchtower is backed up with tons of planes. So they could reply back, is it an emergency? Do you need to land now? And he, say, and he would say, like, whenever you have time. Um, the language barrier that was happening would force that to stop. So language isn't just what's being interpreted to you. Language is the culture that it comes from. So within the Asian culture, it was rude to talk to your superiors or to anybody else and tell them, no, I need this now, give it to me. As Americans, we're okay with saying that because you know, at some level we feel entitled. In a lot of cultures, that no. is extremely rude. No. So no, we don't. <laughs> so so learning learning that language and at least learning what what the capabilities of that language and um, like uh, even with Koreans, they, they have, uh, and, and I'm sure Matt can go into this more, they have ways to end sentences that provide a certain level of respect, respect to the person listening. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind. Like that is actually a key part of their language and messing that up makes you sound weird. Right. Cool. And usually that usually in, uh, in Korean, like they're one of the first few questions to ask you is how old are you? Even if they look the same age, like one or two years difference, can mean a lot in how you speak to each other. 
Well, I think uh, the Korean airlines, they all speak English because of this, right? Um, I've read stories about it on the allknowingreddit.com that Korean pilots do this. Well, so here's here's a question is you're talking about the second language, but, you know, I speak two languages and I can make a little bit of conversation in French. So maybe 2.1 languages, um, 2.2, because I make a little conversation in Japanese too. But how does somebody go about learning a language and then dedicating their time to that and somehow find value in learning a second or a third or a fourth language, whatever it is, especially when, you know, here in the States, English is kind of just fine, right? Right. I mean, I agree no, I, with you. I, I think you know, language does allow you to connect with people in a certain way. That if you were just speaking English to somebody who is speaking English as a second, third, fourth language, um, would change the dynamic of that relationship. But how how would somebody go about learning another language? There's actually a lot of resources out there right now, and it's just a matter of your own preferences. Uh, for me, I prefer to learn how to read and write a language first because it helps me to connect the sound to what's on paper. Uh, so you can go to resources and just Google, do a Google, click Google search, the language I want to learn, say Korean, how to read and write Korean, and just find what you think is best for you. Uh, there's other resources called like Duolingo which is a similar to Rosetta Stone in that it shows you mainly pictures first and just kind of gently guides you to learning the language just from like pictures and images of text and sound rather than just hard memorization. Um, Or you can just listen to movies and TV shows and just read the subtitles and try to connect the sounds with the words with the text at the bottom, the English text. What do you think, Andy? So um, I, I guess I guess a couple comments. Like I, I've tried and failed to learn Spanish mm, five times in like the past six months. Um, so my thing is I use Duolingo, I use Memorize, I used all the websites I can find that like offer free courses. And I have a lot of Spanish vocabulary on my, under my belt. I've got no grammar. So I can say simple sentences, but I couldn't have a conversation in the last more than 10 seconds. I think learning a language, and this is probably where I'm going to part ways a lot of the times in this conversation, I think learning the language itself um, is helpful if you have a practical use for it. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, learning the language, I think appreciating the language is a better term, allows you to have some kind of cultural appreciation for the speaker. and then that's where I'm going to go with that. I just could, to go back to Tim's question though, learning to me actually needs more of a formal setting. You need a teacher who is fluent enough in it that can guide you to use the vocabulary that you learn in a way that's actually practical. Um, I, I'm not, and I'm not sure if you guys are gonna disagree with me on this one, but I'm not one to say that learning language should ever just be for fun. Um, mainly because it's not fun to me. I just think learning language is a practical tool. Uh, and that, that's basically like you, you should only learn language if you want the practical side of it. 
I think you can appreciate a language without ever learning how to speak it. Yeah, you know, I think that if language was easily taught and learned, it would be something that would bring some sort of value for an individual who would have not been interested in doing so otherwise to to pick up an interest in doing so. You know, I, uh, I've taken an interest in ASL. Um, and I can tell you that after two years of ASL, the only thing that I can do now is to click your bird, but everybody knows what that means, right? Uh, we, the, the reason why I say that is because, you know, Matt, as a language teacher, you're in a little bit of a different position, I think, than most people uh, in that, you know, language requires a lot of repetition, but not just repetition by yourself, but with right. real practical practice right uh, and, it, and that's where i think i had the advantage that because i each careful. language i was learning i was i was there right i was among the people so right. uh, maybe I, i'm a bit biased in that way or or right so but so, um hey, go ahead oh no no go ahead yeah no well you know I, what i'm trying to drill down to and i think learning other languages is is partially romantic and partially kind of cool, right? Uh, on a on a spiritual level, uh, and I don't know if intellectual would be the the way to say it, but um, you know, it's kind of it, there's something about going to a group of people that you don't speak the language natively, and are you're able to converse with them in their native language that the reaction that they give you initially is kind of cool. But at the same time, you kind of sit back and you're like, well, was that worth learning their language just to experience that one moment of cool, right? I can, I can tell you one time it learning a second language has really helped me out. <laughs> when I was in Cambodia, um, uh, the police are not um, very friendly and they like to take bribes and just pull you over for random reasons. But the time that did pull me over was actually legit <laughs> in the sense that I was riding a scooter and foreigners are not allowed to. Um, so they pulled me over and they asked me to come over. And I know that usually the asking price starts from like 50 to $100 or they can even ask you for more depending on how they feel. But uh, the, the few words I know is, is uh, more geared towards, um, you know, flirting a little bit at the time. So when I went to, up to the police chief, I was like, in the, in the language, like, hello, hi, you are so handsome. You are so pretty. <laughs> How did that work out for you? <laughs> you in prison afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then he couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. He's just like, all right, fine. Just give me five bucks. Go. <laughs> you, you're, you're, whatever. <laughs> you're hilarious. Let's go. Get out of your way. <laughs> Yeah, so that at what point at that point, like he could tell. <laughs> yeah, that 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 really helped me out. <laughs> so so I, I'm really curious because you do this for a living. Like, what's your what's your process in taking somebody and how good is your Mandarin? Like scale one to ten, or like or professional versus like intermediate. Zero. Zero. <laughs> Zero okay. Yes. So when, when you're teaching students to speak English, you're teaching them in English then, right? 
So, so how do you, in English? So I assume, like, no. I assume the students have at least an elementary grasp of English. How do you take them from there to finishing your course? I tried to meet them where they're at. Um, I try within the first few minutes, I get a good grasp of like what their capabilities are, what they already and what know. What is that typically what, on average? What is that? Where are they at? They already have some some familiarity with English. Um, I teach them at different level, levels within English, from beginners to conversational. Um, so usually I'll ask them a few questions just to gauge where they're at. And like, hi, how are you? What do you like to do in your free time? What did you do today? What did you do yesterday? And usually within those three questions, three or four questions, I like, okay, I, I, because he spoke to me in this way, using proper grammar, like, I know you understand these kind of general concepts. So now I can open up the conversation to, to other topics. And usually as I'm going on, I have them read the lesson. And then I will, even if they can they can read the word fluently, I would ask them like, do you actually know this word? Like, what does this mean to you? And I ask them kind of critical thinking questions that maybe you would get in a normal English class in the States. Mm -hmm. So I tried to ask them critical thinking, like think, what, what is this word trying to show? What, what is the sentence trying to say? And I just go from there and I just use a lot of movements, hands, move, hand gestures. So would, you, would you apply those same principles if you were learning any language? So if, if, for instance, if I, for some reason, decided to go for my 50th try at learning Spanish, should I start asking myself, in what way would I use this word in a sentence? And should I be asking myself like more critical thinking how can this word be used? What's the mechanism of the word? I think it's difficult when you don't have that other teacher feedback if you're going to, if you're going that route. I think it's useful to create to create sentences like, okay, what words do I know? How can I combine these words to form new sentences? And and trying to be funny with it. And like uh, if I learned the dog in red, I you know, a very simple language uh, sentence I could say the dog is red you know that's not that's not right you know or maybe not red but purple or something but that's a very simple way of explaining it but just try to come up with funny ways to create sentences and then um, if you have the chance to you know try to talk um, try to try to practice in that similar kind of manner with someone who speaks that language like a like friend a if you have something. it I guess that pen pals exist anymore do people still have pen pals there are there are platforms where you can do this. There's like platforms where you can you're look you're learning you wanting to learn Chinese, for example. That Chinese person wants to learn English, and you can send letters to each other through this platform, and you can correct each other's written language. That's cool. And there are some websites where they focus more on adults, uh, where you have conversations in that target language that you're trying to learn. Okay. Are, are there are there languages that you think are easier because what you, you you've learned at least four now right so are there languages that you think are easier than others korean for sure even though it sounds Coming kind of english, i assume yes uh, i the reason why i think korean is easier to learn even though it might sound counterintuitive because it's so different from english is because it's so different from english you don't have that um you don't have like oh this, this sound looks like it's supposed to sound like A, but actually in that language is ah or something. Whereas in Korean, you have to start from scratch and learn the, the phonics for each 
of the characters in that language. And Korean was made purposely to be easy for the, the general people to actually learn the language very quickly. It was purposely made, one of the first, one of the few languages that was actually purposely made by the government um, hundreds of years ago. And just, uh, just hundreds and of years ago? Maybe. I, I, actually, I didn't, I didn't think it was that long ago. I thought it was just over a century. I'm curious though. You mean for the Korean language? Yeah. It's it's so, so, so are you talking about the Korean language as far as the written alphabet's concerned? Fit, or 15, go ahead. 15th century. Oh, okay. 15th okay. century. Yeah. So hundreds of years, years ago. Interesting. So, yeah. so, so w w <laughs> let's get some clarity here. Are you saying that the language was just developed in the 15th century? Or no, 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 was no. the language they, already so, there? So from my understanding, go ahead, Matt. Is yours. Oh, they, they from my, like also from my understanding that they were speaking. Um, They're part of the Chinese government as well, or they used to had a lot of connections to Chinese languages. I want to say they're part of Chinese government. I take that back. But uh, but Chinese as a language is very difficult. It's not phonics based. It's you well, have to memorize each character for words. But whereas in in Korea was tr struggling to trying to build up the literacy rates. So the the government purposely created, it got their scientists, their version of scientists at the time to create a language that is easy for the uneducated mass to learn uh, that language. And then it just kind of morphed over time well, to let, what it is let's, today. Let's set the record straight here, right? Is, is that there's no really, there's, there's no such thing as Chinese language. Uh, there, you know, when you're saying Chinese, you're not really speaking of a real language because Chinese have so many dialects, which is what we call them today. But the reality of this is that the history of China and most of that landmass in the Orient of Asia is that it's been a lot of tribes, a lot of small city states and villages that spoke different languages that eventually when they were all conquered by the, the different warlords in China that they, they unified what they call uh, China is today that they we have this word called the Chinese language. So what was the Korean you're, you're, language? You're right, you're, you're right Lisa, with uh, the spoken form of it. There's so many dialects. Uh, Joyce's family is a Tichu dialect. Uh, but for the most part, in the history, the written part is all the same for all the dialects. Well, you know, if you look at Japanese kanji and then you look at Chinese, uh, the Chinese characters, they're they're most of them are the same thing, right? They mean the same thing. They they sound different. But right. where I was getting to is, is that was the Korean language another what we would consider today dialect of Chinese. I don't necessarily know if it was a dialect of Chinese at the time, could have been, but I, I think if I were to say that I, and people actually listen to us, <laughs> there'll be a lot of angry Korean people. <laughs> I um, I, that's a very interesting question to me. I have no it, is, it is, it is, it is an interesting question, but to give a definite say like, yeah, Korean is just a dialect of Chinese, I think, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> at least early Korean. <laughs> I, I think if I said the same thing about the Vietnamese language, you know, uh, Maybe some Vietnamese people won't be happy about it, but there are words in the Vietnamese language that match words in maybe the Cantonese language. Uh, I, it, everybody's heard the story Mulan, right? Uh, and Mulan's name is Hua Mulan, which uh, Hua in that particular dialect of Chinese, I think it's Cantonese, uh, means flower. In Vietnamese, the word 
hua means flower. And you can find a lot of words that share a lot of uh, sound semblance with different dialects of Chinese that you can find in Vietnamese that you can say, okay, well, maybe they did derive from one another. Um, I mean, so we, like, that's where I was getting. I mean, if you, you're talking about borrowed, borrowed words, you know, even in English, we have borrowed words from German, French, sure, and yeah. but we don't say that's necessarily a dialect of French or German. Well, we, uh, there's some, I, I would, I would so say in that European with the language, dialect right? of Latin. Like right, right, right. Based, right, 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 and they all branch from that, and we call that an Indo-European or a Latin-based language, right? Whereas, right, uh, you know, Chinese <laughs> Chinese language, yes. <laughs> it's not quite so much an Indo-European language. It's not at all. Uh, but right. that, that's what I was wondering: is, is that okay? What was Korea just another group of people who lived on that landmass that? just didn't become part of that conquering massive land that became China that we know today. And that's why they get to have their own identity. They get to have their own languages. But, you know, to say that the Korean language was established in the 15th century, I'm just kind of trying to flesh out what that really means, right? I don't have a good answer because I don't have a full understanding of Korean's history around that time era. Um, I do know that Sorry. Uh, I don't I don't have the language answer for you, but I, I think it culturally it was significant. Culturally, creating that language was important for them to establish an identity outside oh. of China, outside of Japan, outside of those wars that defined who they were. Um, and if it wasn't really for that, I don't know if Korea would be the Korea that it is today economically after after the 15th century. Like, well, we're probably looking at the 20th century, but I mean, economically from the 20th century on, they were just a powerhouse compared to where, where they were coming from. So I think that language ended up being the spark that just set everything else on fire. So a language basis, I don't know. I, I can't answer your question, but culturally it changed them significantly. It let them have an independence that they wouldn't have had otherwise if they were constrained by somebody else's identity. So, so what about the English language? You know, the English language is used almost everywhere in the world, whether if it's kind of broken, really broken, broken so much to the point that we can't understand it. Um, how valuable is, is English to people that are not inside the United States? Uh, I mean, you know, my parents are immigrants and uh, Annie's mother. Uh, and her side of the family are immigrants. So, you know, English to them was very valuable. From your perspective, being married, your, your wife is Singaporean, um, who don't cook Singaporean noodles for some reason. But, you know, so, so how don't exist. Is, is it <laughs> to her make a Singaporean. and her family to speak English? Because when I met her family, uh, Martin, her brother, at least, you know, he spoke really good English. So, yeah, it's, it's his first language. <laughs> Oh, that's that's interesting. <laughs> wow, you speak really good English. Yeah. So, Thanks. So, so obviously, it's really important to them, right? Right. The, yes. You know the the power of the English language. It's it, it's something else uh, now for American people. I know I'm talking to a guy who's living in Singapore, an expat right now. Uh, you know. I, let's drill it down, man. Okay, what what makes something so in plain sight for people? What makes it 
valuable for them to get out of their way and learn it, learn it easily. And, and why, right? Um, it's okay. If I'm traveling around the US or going to Canada, or going to Mexico, which are bordering the United States, what's what's the value? And I, I think I can answer that. But let's hear your opinion. I think we talked a lot about already about the value of getting to meet other people and explore other older cultures. But there's even just um, brain development wise, there's some value to even if you're never going to speak to another foreign or foreign language, I want to say foreign language, another language speaking people. If you learn a second language, studies have shown that it helps your brain develop where it allows you to multitask easier and faster. And um, and when you learn another language, usually they have their own way of thinking about the world built into the language itself. So if you learn for say, for example, Chinese, it will, if you speak and think in the language, you will think about whatever issue you're trying to solve in a different way, just naturally thinking in that language. So I think there's a value in learning a language just for that purpose, just to give you yourself another perspective on whatever issue you're trying to tackle. Can I jump in next before you give your amazing answer, Tim? I don't have an answer. Oh, I thought you said you had the answer for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I probably lied. <laughs> so I, I think the, the in plain sight uh, side of it, I think there's a, um, I don't think, I, I know there's a growing uh, culture in the United States that's loving Japanese anime. Um, Weeps. Learning, yeah, well, you know, call them what you want to. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I, actually, I think weep is a good term now. I didn't think it used to be, but I guess well, weep is a good term I, now. I was one. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. All three of us were. Um, <laughs> so I, I like learning that language, going in there and uh, watching the anime, if you will, uh, you will pick up some terms. You'll, you'll start saying sugoi um, when something cool happens. Um, like having the feeling that's attached to the word gives you a bit more of a cultural influence inside of you. It makes you understand how they how another language can make you feel something that can't really be expressed in your own. So the in plain side of it is actually understanding that your own language is limited uh, in its capability of actually expressing an emotion. The thing about our uh, Germanic dialect is that we are very much a, um, this is this period, and it really only means this thing, maybe mean this one other thing. What I mean by that is if you look at um, Hispanic cultures, they'll have words that actually have emotions attached to them, like that there's actually a feeling meant when you say certain words. So when we, when we say words, we just mean it literally, like this is what it is. If I'm talking about a book, I'm talking about a book. But the feeling of that word can be different when interpreted. Interpretation doesn't get you an exact um, an exact replica of what was actually being said, uh, which is why, you know, interpretations don't always work in courtrooms. Uh, there's tends to be, uh, people who are always disagree about the same terms. And if you ever watched a United Nations, um, I'm probably boring people at this point, but if you ever watched a United Nations telecast, 
listening to the interpreters, you can hear the hesitation in them and you, there's a team back there. They're all interpreting. They're all just like trying to agree. And it, it's, it's incredible because one false interpretation can take something, take something that's innocent and make it demeaning. Um, and, and I think that's the in plain side of it. If you can learn another language and, and appreciate what it is, you won't fall prey to the, to a bad interpretation. Right. That's true. So, I mean, <laughs> with, with that, have, have you, have you noticed, have you noticed that in Singapore since you've been there? Have you noticed that certain things just don't translate well or certain feelings don't translate well between Mandarin and English? I don't have, uh, in, in Singapore, they mainly speak in English. Like everything is done in English. All the government, um, declarations are done in English. They do have translations in the back afterwards with a Mandarin or other dialects or in Malaysian. I forgot what the language is from Malaysia. But um, so I don't have a good answer for you from basically from Singapore side. Um, yes, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> is it? I, so from my understanding, um, traveling like going on vacation in singapore is typically going um off the island right it's like a, you guys go across the bridge and go to malaysia is that right correct right um so do they do do you guys see that barrier with english when as you turn into malaysia or even in malaysia they, they I typically speak english they all typically speak english wow you know yes it's yeah, for, for the most part, you know, a lot of, or anyway, in Singapore and Malaysia, they tried to speak English purposely to try to uh, do well economically in the world because they know, they understand that English is the language of business. And in Singapore, in schools, they're only allowed to speak English for the most part. You can speak Chinese with your friends, you know, on your side and stuff like that. But when you're in class, the teachers all speak English. The lessons are in English. The, the TV shows are all in English on TV. So that's interesting. So Chinese is spoken, um, some dialect of Chinese is spoken at home and English is otherwise professionally and academically used. Right, exactly. Whoa, that is the, weird. Because yeah. like, it, and that's true in Singapore and Malaysia? I'm not quite sure in Malaysia, but I know because they're not as developed as Singapore is. Um, I know in Malaysia, they do focus a lot on English that's for the sake of that, that, that economic reasons. But I don't think it's to the same degree as Singapore is. So, so Steph and I were, um, Steph's my wife. Uh, she speaks, um, her first language was Spanish. Uh, and she speaks primarily English now. Um, there, a common phrase we use in the States, at least, is Spanglish. And it's this mix of Spanish and English because there's not always a way to uh, describe something in one language. So you end up using both. Have you noticed that in Singapore where it, I, I think the term, and I saw this on, on YouTube yes. a couple times, yes. Chinglish. Is that uh, a thing? Sing singlish, Singlish. Singlish, okay. Yes. So uh, I see where you're going with this now. So there is, um, yes. In a professional setting, or actually, no, even in a professional setting, they will speak a form of Singlish, which is a combination of English, Mandarin, and a lot of hodgepodge of different languages from mixed from everybody around Singapore. So from like Malaysia and Indonesian 
Indian, and it's just like a big hodgepodge mixed into one language, which is Singlish. But it's not Singlish is not something that is formally taught at all. It's just a way of speaking. But whenever you are, especially the more higher up the business chain you go, I feel like, or at least in government or um, or in education, the more formal your English will be when you're speaking. Uh, but when in just everyday conversations, it's a lot of a lot of mixture of Singlish. So it sounds I, like it's not like it sounds like it's, you're there speaking English, but every now and then you'll just hear one or two words like, "Huh, that's that's not quite English, is it?" I, so, did I understand you right? So I actually have the same question for Tin because I've been in enough places. I've so I, I have a huge confession. I've been to uh, several Asian restaurants with Tin, and they don't like. I don't know. Maybe twenty percent of them were Vietnamese. Um, Tin primarily orders for me at these places because I like freeze up when, uh, when they ask me what I want in a different language. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. So Tin would be like green beans and chicken. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I've never heard of like Vietnamese English. Like have, do you often see, like you're fluent Vietnamese or do you, do you see the two languages ever combined in a conversation? Yeah. Sure. I, I think the reason why we see a lot of Vietnamese and English being combined is because generally the first generation Americans uh, who are kids to Vietnamese immigrants, we don't know the entire vocabulary of the Vietnamese language. So when we're speaking to our elders, we tend to mix in a lot of English words because we don't have anything else to put into there. And, you know, if you look at it, there are a lot of things that we participate in in a first world country that a third world country just they don't really have any exposure to. Right. As if we were talking about rocket science or Albert Einstein and, you know, uh, uh, the hydrogen bomb or whatever else. So something along the lines where. In their wildest dreams until now they're starting to modernize that back in the 80s and 90s, we just didn't have words for them. And so that's why we mix a lot of English words into our language and then kind of try to explain what those words mean to our grandparents or our parents because they just they weren't there. And there were a lot of language concepts uh, that exist in English that didn't exist in Vietnamese. You know, growing up, it was very difficult being sarcastic around my parents because they didn't know what sarcasm meant. <laughs> you know, so, so they took everything at face value. And so when we were being sarcastic with our non-Vietnamese uncles or aunts, they're like, why are you being so rude? <laughs> oh, well, no, no, we're, we're not. You know, this, this is normal. This is a normal part of English speech right it's what matt had mentioned earlier and andy you dove deep into it too is, is that when you understand a different language you understand the emotions and the different nuances that other languages have that you can't convey just by speaking or listening to in english right the emotions that come through with different languages are not the same as language that you know of your own now you know i'm not like matt or uh, like Martin or people who have second languages because both my languages practically came in at the same time. I learned how to speak English and Vietnamese at the same time, so I don't look at them as a first and second language. Now, one of the 
biggest difficulties that we have today in the United States, at least, is that, you know, we're becoming a country with a lot of immigrants, or at least children of immigrants. But the children of immigrants, including myself, we're finding it very difficult to teach our kids that original language that our parents knew, right? So, for, my, for example, my kids, uh, they can only speak English to their grandparents. Um, and despite me trying to teach them, it, it, it it's, it's difficult because, you know, there's this whole entire feeling of leaving, you know, Cynthia is my wife and she only speaks English. And it, it, there's this difficulty of feeling like you're leaving your spouse out and their mother out of a part of our kids' lives. If I try to push my, my people's language, my parents' language onto my kids, and then 75% of the household speaks language, but my wife, their mother doesn't, right? And I can tell you, and you probably know this, Matt, learning an Asian language is very difficult. And I know that learning English can be difficult too, but you know, you, you look at this entire world, you, you said something earlier that kind of piqued my interest about English being the business language of the world, but that's not just all, you know, when you think about that, you're thinking about guys who are working for the executives of Toyota and Intel and AMD and all these big guys, right? But then you see all these, whether they're legal or illegal immigrants, come over to the United States, whether it's from Mexico, China, Indonesia, wherever else, and they're waiting tables, and they speak English. And they speak pretty good English too, right? And, and they come from countries where it's not like Singapore, where they're learning in English and they're speaking English every single day. They're learning English for the sake of coming over here and doing a job that barely pays any money. So it, it's, kind of a, it, it's kind of a weird dynamic of foreigners who come over here and speak English a lot better than most of us could ever speak their languages. You know, I mentioned in the last episode while we were leaving off, there's this YouTube channel. This guy calls himself uh, Shalman or something like that. Uh, he's a he's a white guy that speaks Chinese, uh, Cantonese, and Mandarin. I think he speaks Mandarin very well. He speaks Cantonese too, but you know, he's learned Navajo. He's learned different uh, languages that you find in India. He, he's, he goes around and learns different people's languages, goes into those districts in the United States, speaks that language to the elders and capture their reaction on camera. And, you know, everybody is always impressed, or at least the ones they publish, right? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, looking from learning a language from that perspective of impressing somebody, you always impress somebody new because if you're going to someplace new, somebody will be like, hey, that white guy or that Asian guy is speaking my language or that Mexican guy is now speaking Vietnamese, uh, which is really cool. But, you know, I, I think the value goes beyond that initial shock from the native speaker to say, OK, well, you know, you respect my people or at least me enough to converse with me in my language. And I, I think that there is there's value in that, because if you walk into say, uh, I can tell you this, if you walk into a Vietnamese restaurant or a nail salon owned by Vietnamese people, and you're white, and you start speaking Vietnamese to them, you're going to, it, there's going to be an uproar inside the salon or a restaurant, not in a bad way, but just in a surprising way, right? Uh, just because okay, it's I'm going to go learn uh, Vietnamese for my next Manny Petty. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. 
because it's it's totally not worth it. Um, but you know, the I I think the thing is is that learning a, a second, third, fourth language, whatever it is, it's it's extremely difficult. And I found value in speaking to people in their languages. But I can tell you that you know, it, it, here's the other thing I kind of want to chat about. Ten minute, ten minutes. Is that when I was learning Japanese? A lot of Japanese were really hesitant to speak Japanese with me, uh, and there may be other underlying reasons as to why they were hesitant to do so. But they're also learning how to speak English, right? So they're here trying to speak English. So the last thing they want to do is speak Japanese. But being able to converse with somebody in their native language, I think, is extremely paramount in learning another language. And that's why I was asking you earlier, what are the best and easiest ways to learn a new language if you wanted to? And whether that's Rosetta Stone or some app, Duolingo or whatever it is to do so, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I don't know. It's a matter of preference. Uh, well, so, so but before I, I want to, I want to ask you a question about the preference thing. I, I do want to add some context really late into this. Tim, you know, four languages, right? English, Vietnamese, Japanese, and Korean, right? No, no uh, French. I learned French in high French. school, but uh, the most <laughs> the most broken sentence I can say is "Je suis la jeune fille." That means I'm a little girl, or at least I <laughs> say I'm a little girl in French. But uh, anyways, go ahead, continue with your question. So, so yeah, what what Tin was talking about, Matt? Like you're you're saying preference, but what does that mean? Like, all right, I have failed. I, I've, I, I've, I don't know. I'm going to make another number. I, I just keep going up. I failed a hundred times now on learning Spanish. Like, I don't know what's right for me. Like, what's my preference? Like I, everything I've done has met some kind of wall. I can tell you a ton of words. Like I can look at the bottom right of your poster and say caballo, but I couldn't use that in a sentence. Like, right. wh where do I go from here? Hang on. Let me stack onto Andy's uh, questions. And uh, Okay. Andy, Andy's learning, right? And I'm when I go through learning languages too, the question is how do you go from just knowing it from a technical perspective? Because when I say just we, I, I know that's, you know, I, I am, right? Because I've been saying it for so long. But if I go to a different language like uh, Mandarin and I know the words, if you can't feel it, if you can't, cognitively process it like we yeah. do the languages that we speak right. is it really about think, preference how do you transform that for that if you're at that stage where you know, like you, you for the most part you understand some of the structure you understand some of the vocabulary i think the only step you can go towards is actually speaking with a person who speaks that language and getting that feedback from them like you try to say your sentence and like ah that's you, you don't say it exactly that way <laughs> let me tell you a better way of saying it or more naturally speaking it um i think so you, i like back where we're from in hinesville georgia yeah that? <laughs> i was gonna ask yes, exactly <laughs> and, and that's that's the difficult part in the states yeah. isn't it it's like if you don't have immediate access it's difficult unless you are willing to pay money for it which can be expensive but I think it's just a matter of how far you want to take it, you know. Um, so if you're in a small rural area, that would be difficult to find someone. Um, unless you go out of your way to another city somewhere or find a pen pal somehow on the Internet. Um, but there are services out there, websites where you can go to where you pay a fee to a person and you 
just talk with them privately, like how we're doing right now on Zoom, and um, just pay them per lesson and just try to have conversations with them. Go ahead, I get man. all that. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. No, I. If you could wrap this up in like two minutes about how language is really important or at least has some value to somebody, whether they're in Singapore, United States, or in in Russia, as to why they should learn it if they don't plan to travel out of the States and they're just dealing with, and I think the United States is a great example in Singapore too, a hodgepodge of people, right? And different languages. So, so, so give us that kick for two minutes, throw it. Give us your or why, why people should learn English or learn a second language? It, it, a second language without beating the same bad horse. <laughs> I would try. <laughs> I think it gives, like I, I've said it already, but I think it gives you a window into that, to that language's culture, the way of thinking. And when you have a good grasp of that language, when you are, when you are that capable, um, it gives you a different way of thinking. Um, and I think it gives you some, um, it forces you to think of the issue that's in front of you in different ways. Like, yes, yeah, sorry, I can't think of it. Yeah, that's one fine. One. You know, don't beat the dead horse one last time. Just fuck it, right? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Right. Man, uh, that was a good conversation, man. What do we got going on next week? All right, uh, it's fun. <laughs> then, sorry, it's your next. Your your choice. Uh, or is your um, your next on the list to host the show right. next right? Let's uh, you know, I I, you guys, you guys know. I just got back from this cross country trip where we did eight thousand miles across the southern United States from Georgia all the way out to Utah and back. And one of the coolest things that I saw on my entire trip, I've never seen in my life anymore. It's in Louisiana. You can see roadkill alligator. I've never seen roadkill alligator before in my life. But one of the great things about Louisiana is Cajun food. If you guys haven't, if you guys can't tell by now, I'm a fat kid, right? I love. Wait, food. wait, 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 wait. Did you eat the alligator? Yeah, I would have. I would have. <laughs> yeah, it was a little spoiled. Uh, you know, from boudin balls to boudin sausages to uh, gumbo, uh, rice and beans and crabs and crawfish and low country boil there's something special about food that you find in louisiana so that's what Jambalaya. we're gonna get into it's my favorite mm. so that's what we'll do man uh <laughs> next week we'll get into cajun food a little bit about the cajun's uh history as far as i know and then really dive into what's important man is making our stomachs happy what else you got for us matt now uh, before we before we uh sign off here well, it was been fun. It was an, uh, it was worth it waking up at, well, now it's not so early now. It's 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, do feel bad that I woke up my family <laughs> to do this podcast. <laughs> my it was worth was it happy. though, right? Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Riley was happy to wake up. Like, oh, hey, it's time to wake up now. <laughs> so, yeah. guys. All right, guys. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, nope, Matt, this is yours. It's all, all right. right. Close it up. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Thanks for watching. Uh, join us for our next episode. All right. Good deal. <laughs>